Welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam DeSenior, presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, Dieter Kurtenbach is here. I had a terrible, terrible intro to this. Uh, right <laughs> and, and for the first time in a while, I had to just be like, nope, we're, we're nope. going to start over. We're going to try this again. And uh, Dieter supported me in that. So for, for that, I am appreciative. I'm trying my best, as we all are in these very trying times. Uh, and if, if, if the worst thing that happens today for you, Sam, is that you – you had to abort mission after 12 seconds of, of an intro or even less. Uh, well, that's a pretty good day, all things considered. Oh, God. All right. So we're <laughs> going to talk about all NBA picks, uh, awards, et cetera, uh, yep. to this point in the season. I think you and I are a little bit more dubious than others that mm-hmm. the season is going to continue. Um, maybe it will. Maybe this won't be the actual award picks. But uh, nice. I think for right now. We're in a circumstance where we do think that these will be the award picks. So we're going to do that. We're going to talk about some news before we get into that, though. There was a hilarious Knicks-Hornets trade that was proposed, apparently. There was a thing that uh, John Gavoni over at ESPN reported about that I kind of want to talk about in regard to the draft. Okay. Uh, and then we're going to talk about some bad movies and some hilarious TV shows. and Yes, sir. Kind of all that stuff. I think that that's I think that's everything that we talked about last night, right? Yeah, no, that that uh, that is according to schedule. And I, yeah. listen, I'm I'm down to get weird with the schedule too. If we want to get on a weird tangent, I'm not going like to stop. Like the my pillow guy. Like we need to talk like some <laughs> <Dieter> last night. <laughs> to explain who the my pillow guy is i've never seen this person in my life before he was apparently at this press conference i didn't even watch the press conference with trump he's a like, thing i had like i was very curious like he was explaining this to me like it's someone that i should know yeah and typically like you know is someone who worked in the entertainment industry for a little while and like has a master's in the entertainment industry essentially and like yep. tends to know what's going on and tends to know what's on tv the my pillow guy passed over my radar and flew <laughs> way over my head. I, I mean, I wish I didn't know who the my pillow guy is, but um, I watch a lot of television at two o'clock in the morning, and that's when he comes out. Oh my god! It, so, pray the virus away, Sam. This, pray it away. I was gonna say, like, is this like a blind spot for me? Like, is this a blind spot that I should know? I mean, you should consider yourself lucky that you didn't know until I told you. I mean, it, it, there's. It's kind of a rabbit hole. I, I don't know anyone who's it been feels introduced. Like a rabbit hole. I don't know anyone who's been introduced to the concept of the my pillow guy who doesn't immediately then continue to read. It's very Tiger King esque in its in its nature. He's a former crack addict who is now like in Minnesota. Wait, really? Oh yeah, there's no. a whole, there's a whole lot going on here. Um, <laughs> he's a former crack addict. Who is like saved by I grace wish we were or whatever? This on video right now because my face is just <laughs> incredible right now. <laughs> Soon we'll all be yeah. Zoom it. Um, but uh, yeah, I think uh, listen. This is all off the top of my head from when I went to the Wikipedia page and then subsequently many more articles, probably like four years ago. Uh, yeah, he was a crack addict. He was saved by some ministry of sort. Big Jesus guy. Big fan of Jesus. And uh, then he's created uh, what is essentially a uh, – it's a pillow that did a lot of, like, radio ads, uh, a lot of, like, podcasting stuff, uh, which is a little bit surprising as to why you, you had not uh, heard about it. Like, he, he's on a lot of – it's a high-volume, low-cost advertising spree roughly about three, four years ago. 
And um, the pillow, by the way, is apparently pretty good, uh, and that's coming from, like, actual reviews. But I, I – uh, everything I read off of this guy, like, super, you know, super Republican, not that uh, – no, you know what? Yeah, super Republican, and I mean it in a pejorative sense. And uh, he told everyone to pray the virus away yesterday at a uh, at a press conference for you know our pandemic. So that was awesome. It was super cool and uh, really reassuring that that guy is is talking to the nation at our time of need. Speaking uh, of praying the virus away, do you know where his honorary doctorate is from? Liberty University. It is from Liberty University. <laughs> that really that really wasn't that difficult of a question. <laughs> It was it was it was that or one of many other <laughs> lunatic fringe schools. Um, stop the scheduling liberty, people. Yeah, the most simultaneously hilarious and terrible thing that yeah. happened this weekend was the headline of uh, there is now an outbreak at Liberty University, like a week or within the week of them going back to class. It's all Democratic hoax, Sam, and uh, it. Yeah, I mean, there there's some point where, like, people – I've gone in on Liberty, like, probably once a year for the last seven years um, on, on Twitter or in various other modes, and uh, I'm just unrelenting on that they're kooks and that they should be treated like kooks. And the common response I get back when I kind of present this argument is, like, well, what about the kids? Like, it's like, you went to Liberty University. Like, th- were you misled? Did they kidnap you? Like, you were in. You were in from Jump Street. Like, no one – like they're they they're telling you what they're about. They're not like you know Grand Canyon University or something where they're pretending they're not that. Um, it, right. It's they're very clear about what they're about. Like if you're showing up there, you're a crusader. So I, I don't have really that much sympathy for for those. Like don't don't show up. <laughs> like I, I I get it. Like that they're yeah. It, it, listen, we we could I could go on for about 14 hours. I'm just no longer tweeting. Like I, it's bad for my mental health at, at this time because I was absolutely going batshit insane beyond my normal level so uh you can imagine what that was like yeah i've been tweeting less and been doing much less uh on twitter than just like tweeting out links and yeah interacting with the occasional people like i'm not i'm not i'll interact i'll interact but like i'm not uh i'm over like there was part of me thought that it would have been worthwhile for me to share interesting information that i was reading about covid right like i feel like i'm a good arbiter of information and uh what that immediately turned into was me just losing my mind over donald trump um because uh i was being gaslit during a pandemic and uh then everybody arguing that he is in fact without everybody but uh, enough people arguing that he is in fact doing a good job to where it's just like nope it's beyond it's beyond help here and uh i'm only lowering myself to this level by by hanging out when when the ball you know if i have something to say on sports i'll probably just write it down in like a column or something but for for now like i cannot engage it it, we're off we're way it was already a bad spot but i can't even suspend disbelief anymore in that regard that will last for another three days until i decide that i need my fix again speaking of bad spots let's talk about the knicks yeah this was this was great. You sent this to me last night, and I, I I was I was gleeful in. I mean, shitty shitty team trades are the best. Yeah, I want to uh, bring up what posting and toasting the great uh, SB Nation 
uh, Nick's blog that used to be yeah. run by Seth Rosenthal. I don't know who runs it anymore. Uh, the Knicks had interest in a very bad Terry Rozier trade <laughs> at the deadline, and I think that just about captures it, to be that honest. Just, just perfection. The <laughs> framework of one deal that had internal support sent Julius Randle, <laughs> Dennis Smith Jr., and a future first-round pick to Charlotte Anytime. for a package that included Terry Rozier and Malik Monk. And by the way, by the trade deadline, Malik Monk was not very good. Did Malik Monk get suspended for PEDs? For um, weed? I thought he got suspended yeah. for weed. I, I think that that is right, but I don't think he's still suspended. And he actually did come on like a little bit. He was suspended on. indefinitely at the end of February. Oh, was he? Is that when it was? <laughs> it's an open-ended suspension from the NBA by violating oh, the term, yeah. well, terms the of the league's of anti-drug form program there was like there was like a week of basketball after that from the time of january 20th until he got suspended he was shooting 46 percent from the field 35 from three 85 from the line and averaging 17 points a night whatever he was taking was working he actually might not have been terrible like he might he might be turning the corner a little bit to be which is positive you know to be fair like i was i was high on monk Coming out of Kentucky, I mean the Duke Here, here's shoot. the problem with this deal. <laughs> You're trading Julius Randall for Terry Rozier whenever Randall's contract theoretically ends a year before Rozier's does, mm-hmm. which and you're sending a future first round pick to have less flexibility going forward. Yes, but they have a point guard who you know is a backup now. Yeah, like Terry, I don't understand. Devante, like trade for Devontae Graham instead. He's a better basketball player, and he makes way less money. Well, yeah, and that's why they're the Hornets aren't going to trade him, right? But like, Terry I don't know. For, a Knicks first round pick is a pretty good asset. Yeah, I mean, it would depend <laughs> on how good the pick is. But like, Rozier started every game for Charlotte this year and yeah. averaged like eighteen four and four. And shot forty percent from three. I I get what the appeal of Terry Rozier is. I think he's, he's a bad like player. yeah, like I think he's probably like the twenty fifth best point guard in the NBA or something where's, like where's that. Where's Devontae Graham on that? Slightly higher. Yeah, like twentieth. Yeah, like some somewhat higher, not much higher, but somewhat higher. Where's Dennis and Smith Jr. on that list? Fifties. I don't know. Like yeah, bad. Yeah, it's, like. It's true. So he's averaging five point five points a game this year. Yeah, Dennis, Dennis has had a rough go of it this year too, because if I remember yeah. correctly, his mother died, and um, yeah, it's only no, played his stepmom, games. I think. Yeah, and um, you know, d- didn't really get the season off on the strong foot, and you know, I think he switched agencies like at the top of the year. Like it was like a weird. His whole year has been very weird, I think, and like I'm, part of it is just me writing it off a little bit, maybe in a way yeah. that I shouldn't be. Well, but twenty two years old. Just, so bad on so many levels for like everyone because <laughs> like I don't yeah who wins it for who wins it <laughs> like I guess I guess it depend on like they get off that contract I feel like Charlotte wins I feel like Charlotte wins they get off a contract at a position of redundancy now uh, they add a Knicks first round pick. Well, here's the reason this is actually a good thing for them. They probably would be less inclined to use their high draft pick this year to fill the center position then. Right. And you really just shouldn't be using high draft picks on centers. Right. Because that you have, you have Randall, who's really a four, but you just slide him up to the five in in second unit minutes. And then you just run whoever you want out there. By the way, this is a report from uh, SNY's Ian Begley. This is not from us. Oh, which by the way, 
if that's for me, lock it in. Begley yeah, ain't yeah. out here with bad sources on the Knicks. <laughs> like, yeah, that, yeah, dude, yeah, yeah. that dude is part of the front office. Um, it's just funny that like this is the deal that had framework or had uh or the framework that had organizational support in some corners. Like who 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 was who, was the organizational support from Julius Randle? <laughs> <laughs> like who the fuck is even who the fuck is even running the show over there anymore? That's well. Prior to the deadline, we weren't super sure, but it's now yeah. Leon Rose for sure. Like, yeah. Definitely the guy. Um, Leon Rose, by the way, white guy. <laughs> I ha- I remember the first time that didn't see that coming. I remember the first time I had a conversation about Leon Rose. Um, it was, mean, what were the odds? It was with one of his former clients. We'll say. Yeah. And I was just talking to him on the phone, and I go, "Yeah, like you know, like African American. We're talking about like African American agents or something." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah Leon Rose, right?" He yeah. Goes, Leon was my old agent. Leon's white, dude. Yeah. Leon Rose. Leon Rose looks like cousin Sal. Like that's he just really a, does. He really does. Like that's it. Uh, can the oh. Knicks just continue to like leak out like really stupid things just once a day? I know they have enough. Yeah. Just do it for out, our. Yeah. Leak out bad Steve Mills ideas, basically. Here's here's what everyone needs to do. Everyone needs to just air all of their dirty laundry. Just, just we just go one every team day by day. Today's your day to air out dirty laundry. You can lay out all of the Mark Jackson stuff. Just be as petty as possible. You don't even have to do it to people who are still there, right? Just every team. It's just like you got something. Leak it out now. Like in our time of need, what do you got for us? And every NBA team as a service should just say like, well, let me tell you about this thing that happened in 1996 that you didn't really know about, but you've, you know, there's been rumors like it's totally true. And then it's like, oh my God, then we talk about that for a day and then the next team does it and we just all get it out there. I think that that would be a great service at this time. Oh oh my God. Like you, you haven't even heard about this trade option, you know, all this stuff. So the the next thing I wanted to talk about was this thing that uh, John Gavoni wrote over at ESPN. It's mm-hmm. an interesting story in regard to people testing the waters, players testing the waters of whether or not they're going to try and go pro or uh, end up yeah. playing in college. And so th- this is something I've been talking with agents about for a few weeks now, and basically since the end of the season, maybe even a little bit before that. And I, I didn't – I've kind of tangentially noted it in a couple of stories but didn't really write the full story um, because the agents that I talked to didn't really think it was going to be a big deal. So here's kind of the reason uh, why. So here's the story. Um, theoretically, agents are supposed to be certified by the NCAA in regard to representing players who are testing the waters. Right. And – What's happening basically is players are picking agents that they want to test the waters with, and many of the agents on the NCAA certified agency list are not really bigger agents. Uh, mm-hmm. I would say that really there are only a few. I believe that uh, Octagon has one. Uh, Todd Ramazar is on that list, and Todd has like Pascal Siakam mm-hmm. and uh, a couple of other really, really good players. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anyone else. I, I believe that um, I believe that Kent Bazemore's agent, Austin Walton, is on that list. Like, put it this way, like, I think that, Next Sports, who Austin Walton uh, runs, mm-hmm. 
has something like six NBA players right now. And like, that's probably the third biggest agency that is repped on this list. So basically what is happening is these bigger agencies who decided not to get NCAA certified as a stand against the NCAA because they think the entire process is ridiculous. It's just a money grab by the NCAA essentially because they want to charge these agencies $1,250 to pay an annual certification fee to be certified by the NCAA. Um, They also are doing a $250 background check. So it's really $1,500 every year that the NCAA is trying to poach from agencies. And the agents basically uniformly, other than these 24 agents, decided we're not going to do that. This is ridiculous. Uh, We're not going to play this game. And essentially what's happening now is that client, their potential clients are running through the process and deciding through agents and the ones that want to test are coming to the conclusion that they can only be repped by certain agents, right? right? And the question is now, how hard will the NCAA come down on these kids if they decide to sign with a different agent? Like, are they actually going to lose eligibility? Right. you know, Yoli Childs last year was suspended for nine games because he didn't submit the proper paperwork after deciding to return to school, right? Like, it was just the most stupid, punitive, um, bullshit suspension I think I've ever seen by the NCAA. It was a disgrace. Yeah. And these agents are kind of wondering how uh, how this process is going to work. Now, I will say this, and here is why I think that this is not going to be a big deal this year. And the agents I've talked to are basically just telling these kids, don't hire us yet. Make sure that there is a paper trail for your parents or you paying for all of your potential travel, et cetera, and you'll be fine. There's just no way for the NCAA then to try and suspend you if these things aren't met. Like if they have no evidence of, if there's no paper trail of the agency paying for things, then there's just no way to really hinder this thing. Right. Right. So the other part of this on why I don't think this is going to be a big deal this year is because the pre-draft process is going to be so unbelievably (laughs) different um, in regard to, there are going to be so few workouts for players this year. There are going to be so few like pre-draft events like pro days and the NBA draft combine may not exist in its current form. So basically these agents are just telling these kids that they're, you know, there's not going to be as much pre-draft training this year. There's not going to be as much for agents to even do in regard to spending money on clients. So just you guys handle everything on your own right now. Mm-hmm. And if you decide to go through the process and, and go to the NBA draft at the end of the day, we'll handle it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like we'll take care of it. But for now, there can't be any paperwork leading us back to you. So <laughs> I actually don't think that any of this is going to be a big deal this year. Yeah. And that might you would hope not. Like I'm, that might seem like I'm actually just telling kids how to get around this process. A, I kind of am. Because the whole thing is bullshit and it's a yeah, sham. That's that's your thing. You're you're good at that. Yeah, like, but B, like, this is stuff that's happening already. You know what I mean? Like, this this is not stuff that uh, is new. And like, I'm not like I'm not telling agents stuff that they don't know. But here's the <laughs> thing: this is going to have to change going forward. Yeah. Because this whole thing is a sham. Um, the accreditation <laughs> process for the NTA is really right. fucking stupid. And yeah. 
We knew that well before this, by the way. The other problem with all of this is, is there's actually no penalty for speaking with agents if you are a player. Like you're allowed to solicit advice from agents. That's not mm-hmm. um, that's not a thing that you're not allowed to do. Right. So it's a totally toothless penalty like process. It's totally toothless, you know, deal where you can't actually get caught for this. Right. <laughs> like basically. The NCAA, if they try to suspend someone where there's like a paper trail of the parents like paying for things because an agent went to an NBA team and was like, hey, mm-hmm. go, um, you know, you should do an interview with right. you know, player X, right? But right. uh, the NCAA is just going to invite a lawsuit against them. And that's not something that they're going to want to get involved with. Like otherwise, you know, we would be suspending what, like every five-star freshman Oh like yeah, basketball player, right? And, like, and, and and a lot of the fours and some of the threes, even. Yeah, like we. This is not something the NCAA wants to get involved with. Like you have to have a real investigative arm to be able to do this, and this is not something they really have. And even if they do, it's just a totally toothless endeavor because they can't make people produce cell phone records in the absence of evidence against them. Like all you're going to do if you're an NBA team, like the NCAA does not have subpoena power. Right. Uh, the NBA teams are not going to be like, oh, yeah, they're not going to hand over their phone records. For this. They're not going <laughs> to not gonna phone, uh, hand over their phone records. Prospects are not right. going to hand over their phone records because otherwise – there's and there's no and by the way there's no agency that would compel them to do that there isn't there's nobody with subpoena power that that could get involved there's no legal aspect to this or the, well, it's, certainly it's like the Chappelle, like him playing george w bush sketch right it's like you know what right. you can do you can sanction me sanction <laughs> me with your army oh wait you don't have an army that means you need to shut the fuck up like that's basically that's exactly right what every prospect should do, what every agency should do, what every NBA team should do to the NCAA, because this whole thing is a fucking sham and it's a money grab by the NCAA and they well, should be disgraced. The real thing is that the NCAA should get rid of that because now you have there's a penalty for trying to follow the rules um, and and the fact that the rules are toothless and worthless and disgraceful inherently as you mentioned like the fact that that now okay you either have to buy into that or it's just it's just not it's just not a good it's not a good thing one of the one of the benefits of probably the only by the way you you want to know what the funniest part about all this is yeah so to be an ncaa accredited agent originally Mm -hmm. right um you were gonna have to have a bachelor's degree Right, this is is the Rich Paul rule. Yeah, and, you know, I wrote about this at the time that it was total bullshit, and the NCAA ended up changing the rule. Well, you look right now at what's happening with the NCAA or the NBA contracts and its potential force majeure contracts. There are, like, 20 players across the league who have received more than half of their salary because their their agency negotiated a smart contract, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Rich Paul, all nine of Rich Paul's clients – have secured these deals. Pay up front, baby. Rich Paul and uh, Mark Termini and Andy B and, like, all these guys, they're all really fucking smart. Yeah. They're all really good at this. Like, the whole accreditation process that they originally wanted to do just lets you know how dumb the NCAA is about this issue. Let, let's establish that there are very smart people who play by the rules. Then there's Rich Paul, who let's not forget how Rich Paul got involved with LeBron James, which was he was selling bootleg uh, 
retro jerseys out of his trunk, but was so savvy as a businessman, was making so much money that LeBron's like, bring that guy in. That guy's sharp. That guy's smart. Like there, there are, you don't need no, you don't need to go to business school to know how to hustle. And let's let's not pretend that anyone's doing anything out here other than hustling. Like it's just, it's, I mean, when Rich Paul says it's racist, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of going through the thing. I mean, I don't know if it was inherently racist, but it's certainly (laughs) racist in action. I don't know if they, if they were like, let's get black back at the black guys, but uh, no, it was definitely racist. It was definitely racist. It was definitely racist. So whether or not they meant it to be at the the time, I don't know. Probably not to be honest, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. So the whole thing, I mean, this was going to get in, like it, it has been, one of the only benefits out of this whole shit show, um, and it is one small thing in a pile of sadness and shame and shit, uh, is that a lot of pretense from just day-to-day shit is being stripped away. And we don't have to pretend like bullshit is normal or acceptable or anything like that. Like the the easiest example, and that you can just think about in, in your day-to-day life how much of it – like. TSA, right? Everything was three ounces. That comes in after 9-11. It's supposed to be a safety thing. But as the coronavirus is starting to break out, well, now you're allowed to bring on 12 ounces of Purell. Like the three ounce aspect of it was just a bullshit arbitrary number to begin with. And we can get in layers and layers and layers of this. Um, and, you know, luckily, <laughs> luckily, some people are starting to call out some, some bullshit in this time where a lot of bullshit's getting stripped away. Now, mind you, there's a lot more of it being thrown out every day and it's all terrible and shitty and bad but um it's just another example with this ncaa thing of how much pretense is and should be stripped away uh amid all of this yeah it's just really this is one of those things that's like really frustrating me to me because the rule was um meant to be exclusionary at the top it was a bullshit rule it doesn't really um it's just like a clueless organization about the way that this process works trying to make rules about it and by the way this came as part of the Condoleezza Rice dumbass thing mm-hmm. into college basketball, committee into college basketball that mm. tried to fix things and literally did jack shit for anyone. Like it was, yeah, no, this, this is I'll, just I'll, one of those things that like, uh, I'm glad that John wrote about it because it really helps to foster a wider conversation. Um, the, like I said, like I don't think the reason I didn't write about it originally is because I don't think it's going to be a big deal this year, and I maintain that case that I don't think it's going to be a big deal this year. Right. But this is something that the NCAA should be clowned about pretty hard. I'll say this for them, Sam: they might need that fifteen hundred dollars out of everybody though at this juncture. They might. It's <laughs> not wrong. At least bad things are happening to pretty bad people sometimes. <laughs> Amid all of this, some people are getting their comeuppance. Oh, man. It's probably, what, like two-thirds of NCAA schools are, like, actually in some financial trouble now? Well, I was having a conversation with somebody else yesterday regarding um, – I know, hard to believe – but uh, uh, regarding just, like, low-level college football, right? Uh, yeah. So I've been spending a lot of time dealing with NFL draft stuff because there's nothing else to do. And it's always difficult to evaluate um, these low-school 
players because you just don't know the level of competition. Now you're jumping to the NFL. And we were talking about, I used to cover Florida Atlantic. They have a couple of interesting prospects this year. And a, a guy I was talking to was like, yeah, I watched the film against them in Ohio State. And it's just like, that's just not an acceptable <laughs> parallel because football is, in, in, you know, intrinsically a team sport. And like, I don't know how I'm supposed to judge a wide receiver when his quarterback is being murdered. Like, almost right. murdered on every play. Like, left guard was turned to dust. Ten nanoseconds later, quarterback is drilled into the turf to where it left an indention. But I guess he ran a good route? Like, I don't know. Um, but you think about, you know, those cash games, and we just watched so many of these, you know, ridiculous kind of cash games where these small teams are just getting, like, murdered. Like, you, you right. viscerally feel it. And you're just thinking, like, State versus Michigan State. Right. I mean, not even actually Appalachian State's a good team and they actually do stuff. We're talking like, uh, uh, um, you know, the, the Missouri State going and playing. Oh, Ohio State, Florida Atlantic is as good of an example as I'm going to come up with. There's yeah. Sacramento State going and playing USC when USC was good. Like things like that where it's just like, the, no, like there's maybe one guy on this entire other roster who could even make your roster. And um, especially in the trenches, I mean, it's 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 not comical because it's like you feel the danger of the situation. But then again, like Florida Atlantic got paid one point four million to go to Columbus and play that game. And that makes up almost a sixth of their overall football budget for the year, whereas Ohio State has a football Ohio State at the time of that game. Urban Meyer was making more money than the entire FAU football budget. And Ohio State, not to hyper-localize it for you here, but like Ohio State made $50 million last year in ticket sales. The entirety of the athletic program outside of football made $16 million total. Like if the football season doesn't go on, now we have an even bigger issue and everybody's basically going to turn into the Santa Clara athletic department, which is like operating on like $7 million a year. Like college sports are in a real danger zone here because football has been holding this entire thing up. And the only, the only thing in addition to football that was making any serious money just went away, (laughs) which is the NCAA basketball tournament. If they have neither, it might not exist. Like there is a very real chance that it, it, they just can't come out of that hole that would be dug in that dug in that situation. And I I think it would start with the programs. Yeah. What they're going to have to do is they're probably going to have to cut sports at some point. No question. No question whatsoever. And who does that hurt disproportionately? I mean, it hurts all the Title IX programs and the lower-level male programs. I mean, they're not going to cut the moneymaker. They're not going to, you know, it, it, and they're going to keep basketball because some basketball teams can break even. But you know, if Well, they're you, not going to cut basketball because even if you're like a D1 basketball program, just by nature mm-hmm. of like the way that they allocate units mm-hmm. uh, from the NCAA, like you just – it's hard for you to lose money on basketball. Right. It's a relatively cheap sport, all things considered. You're mostly – yeah, it, that's that. But, like, uh, let me put it this way. I would be very worried if I was a collegiate baseball or softball team, and that's, like, the third sport. Right. It's a, it's a, there's going to be a real – real big issue. Now, I think we're all hoping for a variety of reasons, much more important than, you know, NCAA nonprofit sports that uh, that doesn't come to pass. But if the football machine does not get revving, um, the NCAA again, just in, in real, real dire straits, because the, the basketball tournament was... It's a big moneymaker. It's, a, it's the biggest <laughs> moneymaker for two thirds of 
schools. Yeah. Because what? There are 120 football playing schools or 130 Division One. Yeah, it's like 135 schools. or something, yeah. Yeah, there are 354, yeah. I believe now, including Tarleton State. Mm-hmm. Uh, that play <laughs> Division One basketball. Billy's so, back, baby. Fucking Clyde, oh my God. Those two-thirds of programs are in trouble. You know what else? Two-thirds of guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness by mm. the time they're 35 years old. The That's good news is that with today's advancements in science keeps offers proven treatments that can combat the symptoms of hair loss and help you keep the hair you have at half the cost of your local pharmacy. You don't have to go broke to go avoid going bald. Keeps offers generic versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products out there. Plus, Keeps now offers a prescription shampoo to keep your scalp healthy, too. Prevention's the key. Keeps treatments really work. They're up to 90% effective at reducing and stopping further hair loss. The sooner you start using Keeps, the more hair you'll save, so act fast. Many men even experience hair regrowth with Keeps treatments. Look. I'm losing the hair. Like, I know it. You wouldn't be able to tell right now because my hair is weirdly very long. Goddamn, we are all coming out of this like Grizzly Adams. We are. But, you know, Keeps is a tremendous product. It is absolutely incredibly useful. And I absolutely would say that all men should use this product if you're losing your hair. Uh, If you're ready... To take action and prevent hair loss, hair loss, go to keeps.com slash game theory to receive your first month of treatment for free. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y. Uh, it's keeps.com, K-E-E-P-S dot com slash game theory. Whew. <laughs> it was a hell of a transition. Got to throw it up again. That was an absolutely great transition. And you're going to get your first month of treatment for free. With keeps.com slash game theory. Skitty the hell up. So we're going to do uh, all NBA stuff today. So yeah. uh, that was a longer intro than I thought it would be. The 35 Sorry. minutes that we talked about news. No, it wasn't your fault. It was my fault. I take the blame for all this. So we're going to do MVP defensive player of the year. Most outstanding or most uh, improved player. Sixth man of the year. Rookie of the year. Coach of the year. And then we're going to do all NBA picks. Um Dieter, I will give you the floor. Mm-hmm. Where do you want to start? Let's get this out of the way now. Giannis is the MVP of the NBA this season. Yeah, it's re- it's really just not even a debate. I don't think. I don't Correct. understand. The like, if LeBron would have gotten his last twenty games mm-hmm. of the year, like I think there's a real chance that he could have closed the gap. Especially considering Giannis's knee injury and how long that could have kept him out. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely, and. Look, LeBron's having an exceptional season. He's averaging like 26 points, 11 mm-hmm. assists, and eight rebounds a game. He's leading the Lakers to the best record in all of uh, the Western, Western Conference. Conference yeah. Like worthy of discussion, but it is, yeah, a little more. 100 percent worthy of second place this season. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I just don't think I have a hard really time even thinking of another option for second place, by the way. Yeah, I agree with you. Totally agree with you on that. Like I have Luka Doncic in third place right now. And like, that seems like kind of a weak third place to me. <laughs> it's it's a gap, but let's not, let's not, um, let's not underestimate the, the gap between LeBron and Giannis. If we're being totally honest, uh, agree. Uh, there, there was a media effort <laughs> no, uh, and, exactly and, a, what it was. and a social media effort to, um, I don't know, pay tribute 
to the king, and uh, the king deserves plenty of tributes. But let's let's not drag Giannis into this because not only is he the MVP, had the team with the best record in the NBA, um, doing just outstanding outstanding, preposterous, uh, running out of adjectives to describe the guy things. Uh, he was also the NBA's best defensive player this year, in my estimation. I have him top three, so yeah, I totally uh, agree. I mean, it won't happen because LeBron's hold on some is um, above reproach, but I mean, Giannis should be the unanimous MVP. I, I just don't. I just don't see it that close. And then, the, obviously, the gap between LeBron and Luca, or whomever else you you want to choose, is even larger. But it, it's it's no, Giannis. LeBron should be class. unanimous. Yeah, second, second place. place. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hundred votes for or whatever. Hundred percent of the votes for Giannis for MVP. One hundred percent of the votes for LeBron. And then after that, do whatever you want. But uh, it, it's very clear where the hierarchy in the league stands. And and listen, I understand the arguments that some make about. Well, Giannis hasn't done it in the playoffs. Well, one, it's this year's award, and two, it has nothing to do with the playoffs. Um, uh, and I understand some of the stigma about Giannis because it's a little bit of bully ball. Uh, it, 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 it has not hasn't gotten him to the NBA Finals, hasn't won a championship. But those are extrapolations. Those are reasons you are looking for as to not give him the award. But the only reason that you're entertaining those notions is because it is so obvious that he's the MVP and you're just looking to play devil's advocate with whomever uh, it, it, it's, it's him. There's no one close. LeBron comes in second. I like Luca as third. Um, who, who else is even in that conversation? Yeah. I think that even with the later season, you know, later, I guess it would be the last, what last 15 games. So the last quarter of the season mm-hmm. swoon that James Harden had, yeah. Uh, I think that there's still definitely a case for him in the top five. Yeah. Um, you can make an argument for Anthony Davis, too. I think you can make an argument for Anthony Davis in the top five. Uh, you know, some people will throw Kawhi Leonard out because he played 51 games. But, you know, at the end of the day, Kawhi Leonard averaged 27-7-5 and five, and is still a very high-level defender, if not quite as elite as what right. he once was. Um, you know, at least this year, he wasn't necessarily. Who's to say what would happen if, if, and when a playoffs do happen, like if he hasn't just been load managing on court too. I mean, he certainly has the ability. It's just, uh, he takes her easy out there. Right. And then the last guy that I do think it's worth bringing up is Damian Lillard, even though that Mm -hmm. team is losing, he has Mm -hmm. just been obscene this year. This has been his best season in the NBA by far. He is holding that team afloat yeah. by himself, essentially. And Like, I know C.J. McCollum exists, but, like, C.J. hasn't been quite as good this year as he's been in the past. I don't think and, that's controversial at all. Yeah, and Lillard has just been a total goddamn monster. He's a stud. He's a stud. Yeah. So, and, like, you know, I, I don't think I could quite get him in my top five just because the team is struggling a little bit more than what I would like to put an MVP uh, candidate up for. But, like, he came damn close to making my first team All-NBA team. Well, let's let's go into that now because uh, I think we've n- pretty much named everybody save for one man when it comes. Well, can, can we explain why Giannis is the first team All-NBA guy? Or the I mean, you want to read off NBA some team? numbers? You can read off some numbers. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I mean the numbers are ridiculous. 
Yeah, he's averaging 30 points, 14 rebounds, and six assists a game while shooting 55% from the field and being a top three defender in basketball. Um, I think there is a real chance he wins Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah. I personally wouldn't vote for him, and I'll kind of explain why whenever okay. we get there. Okay. But um, like, I think there is a real argument for it, nonetheless. He yeah. is just by far the most dominant, irrepressible force in basketball right now on both ends of the floor. Um it's really just a situation where uh, even though Milwaukee and the team is very, very, very good around him, mm-hmm. like this is still a team that when he's off the court, right, they still have a, uh, yeah. I believe it's like a plus four net rating. Mm-hmm. But his like overall like net rating difference is still plus 12. When he is on the court, they have a 115 offensive rating and a 98.7 defensive rating. It's wild. Um, it is. It's not even wild. That is impossible. To <laughs> this is a team that when Giannis Antetokounmpo is on the floor, they are 16 points per 100 possessions better than their competition in the NBA. That is a ridiculous, ridiculous number in every capacity. And by the way, LeBron's teams, like 11 points better. He's yeah. a stud oh, yeah. as well. Like I, I don't, for, I don't mean to diminish that. For reference, um, the Warriors in their best years of their dynasty, which included Kevin Durant, would be about seventeen, right. seventeen uh, in in overall, you know, uh, plus minus um, with the um, yeah. It, it, when they had their best lineups on the court, when they decided we were going to kill you. And they would drop Draymond to center, and Kevin Garnett or Kevin Durant would be at at power forward. Steph, Clay, and Andre Iguodala. They would do roughly what Giannis does by just being on the court for the Bucks. Yeah. And look, we're going to talk whenever we get to the defensive side. We're going to talk about um, the fact that I think Giannis's teammates have been a little bit underrated this year. Oh but, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But let's not let's not pretend that. I mean, the Bucks are yeah, better I mean, this it, year because Giannis has been better this year. Yeah, like this is a playoff team if Giannis and Tedekumpo doesn't play for Milwaukee. This is um They're an eight seed. Yeah, they're like a seven seed, I was gonna say. Like yeah. they're probably better than Orlando. But it'd be a good series. Nah, I think that they'd still win okay. easily. But okay. nonetheless, like this is an exceptional season from an exceptional player. He's a well deserving back to back MVP winner, and I don't think it should really even be uh, all that close. He is a, he is leading the league in PER by like four points, three or four points, yeah. and he's also PER underrates defensive value for the most part. He's also on top of being the most efficient, uh, voluminous player in the NBA in terms of production. He's also a top three defensive player in the NBA. It, it's just not even to me a debate to say anyone else is the MVP this year. I mean, his win shares per 48 minutes is stupid. I mean, he's worth 0.28 win shares per 48 minutes. Yeah, and like, look, I, I, I tend not to like those numbers. Yeah, right? I know. Like, I, I don't know how useful they are, but just in terms of what he's doing on the court, like his effect on his team, his overall production, there, there's just not really a question to me. I think Le- it's leads the NBA in defensive rating. Yeah, like he's he's an absolute stud. So let's uh let's talk all NBA. So I yeah. personally Run have on. James Harden and Luka Doncic. Yes. In the guard spots. Yes. I think I might have cheated putting Luca in the guard spot. I'm not entirely sure if that's really? going to be where he's listed. He doesn't qualify as a point guard? I'm not sure how they're going to list him. Oh. Guards fours? 
but he, you know, obviously is yeah. like the lead ball handler of their offense. I'm just I, like not clear. I just, I just gave him guard. I, I, I don't, I don't think you need to overthink it. Yeah. Um, LeBron and Giannis in the forward spots, and then the center spot is the interesting one. I personally put Nikola Jokic, given the okay. fact that uh, Denver is the second best team in the Western Conference. Okay. Uh, you know, maybe them or. Los Angeles, the Clippers, whichever team you want to pick. I yeah. uh, picked the Clippers in a playoff series, but uh, Denver is right behind them, right breathing down their necks, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I would say Jokic for the first team center spot. And given the fact that Philadelphia has been, like, slightly disappointing this year. Right. Uh, even though, by the way, like, Philadelphia was, I want to say, three to three and a half games back of Denver, too. Like, Philadelphia's yeah. – uh, the top of the East is so good that – we it's hard to equip. underrate what Philadelphia yeah. has done this year a little bit, I think. That's true. them looking like a mess all the time. Well, we just expect constant progression, so any sort of stagnation or, or minor regression is right. very poorly looked upon. Right. Um, so I, I think I agree with that. I think like, I agree with that. Yeah, he's just the guy that, like, you know, it's tight. a drink for one of the five best teams in the NBA. Yeah, and, and let's be honest, uh, Joel has taken a step back much like the entirety of the Sixers this year. It's minor. He's still one of the best players in the league. Um, But, yeah, I I think it would be fair to give it to Jokic. This is where Anthony Davis not playing the five, though, is um, problematic because he would be a shoo-in. He would be an absolute shoo-in, but he's a forward. He he wanted to make it clear to everybody he's a forward, so he's a forward. He's playing forward. No, I know, I know, I know, I know. There's no argument that he's not a forward. It's just still kind of stupid. So the second team, I had Lillard. Westbrook, Kawhi, hmm. Anthony Davis, Joel Embiid. Yeah, yeah. I, you could make an argument for Kemba instead of Russ, but I think it's very hard to make that given just what's what recently or quasi-recently happened with how good Russ was. Yeah, I think that what we saw from Russ, you know, over the course of the final two months of the season pushed him yeah. into this category pretty easily. Another frustration here is with Jimmy Butler being forward, forward, and not kind of the two, three that he's so constantly played. But Right, yeah. I have Jimmy as my third team forward. I have Chris yeah. Middleton, by the way, as my other third team forward. Oh, really? I have Pascal. Yeah, I think Siakam, Middleton, and Jason Tatum are the three candidates. Yeah. And it's very close. Uh, I, really, I won't begrudge you for picking either one, but if you want to listen to the case for Chris Middleton as an All-NBA candidate. Have at it. Um, well, I had um, – I had the debate with Eric Name mm-hmm. on a previous podcast, and I thought I was leaning more toward Tatum. And then, like, I really kind of dug in and watched <laughs> the tape, and I was like, "Oh no! Like, it probably should be Chris Middleton." Yeah. No, I, listen, I'm not. I'm not like at all stunned or shocked that you, you've you've picked Middleton. He's been absolutely fantastic this year, and I think is worthy of consideration. I just. I don't know. I, I, I think Pascal and, and Butler is a, a level that he's not on. Um, at least cons- it, it didn't feel like consistently this year. But he's close so, enough. That's not a conversation that I felt like we would be having a year ago. In terms of consistency, I don't know that there's been a player more consistent than Middleton this year. No, yeah, no I, what, sorry. Consistency like, was the wrong word. You're 100% right. He is steady Eddie out there What yeah, in the I mean, sense of um, – I, I just – I feel like those guys – Perhaps just because of circumstance, win more games for their team <laughs> than the yeah, Middleton like I, does. I, he I is being hindered by having Giannis in, in the yeah. sense of his individual candidacies. I think there's a case that 
Jason Tatum is more important to Boston than Chris Middleton is to Milwaukee. But it Chris Middleton is also averaging 21.6 rebounds, four assists, while shooting 49.9% mm-hmm. from the field, 41.8% from three, and 908 from the free throw line. Yeah. Uh, if we get this season started again and they play like five games at the end of the year and he shoots over 50% in those games, he's yeah. going to go 21 points per game on a 50-40-90 season. Like... <laughs> yeah, no, he, he's he's very, very, very good. Um, a lot of those looks are open, to be fair. They are. He's not the he's not the guy that defense is key on. I think that that is in no. Jason Tatum is that guy. So the guys that I had thirteen guards, I had mm-hmm. it down to three guards. I had Kemba Walker, Chris Paul, and Kyle Lowry. Okay. I struggled with this hard. I went Kemba Walker. I went yeah. Kyle Lowry. Wow. The reasons that I chose those two were to reward two of the five best teams in the league because I think that those two teams have earned it. I mean, it it, it is consistent with your methodology to this point. Um, Yeah. I I would would have Lillard over Lowry. That's just me. Why Lillard second team? Oh, sorry. That's right. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, no. Uh, where do, you, Lillard, where, do you have, where do you have Paul George? I don't. Okay. Because he's a forward, and there's just not really a case for him. Like, I don't think I can make a real case for him over Chris Middleton. What about Chris Paul? Chris Paul was the third guy that I can Like, I had Chris Paul, Kemba Walker, Kyle Lowry. And the Thunder this year were just not quite as good as the Celtics and Toronto uh, in terms of consistency. Uh, I chose that to be the tiebreaker. I mean, also, Chris's numbers are slightly worse than Mm -hmm. those guys. Um, But that's, you know, between the numbers being slightly worse, the team being slightly worse. um, There is certainly a case for Chris if you want to try and make it based off the fact that he's the best closer in the NBA, in my opinion. Um, It's a pretty narrow band to have to try to get through argument wise, considering the the quality of player you're going up against. Like, that's a, you'd have to really really care about closing, in which case we probably have to go across the entire board here and reevaluate some stuff. I'm going to say it. Uh, Is Rudy Gobert your third team center? It was Bam. I like that a lot. Yeah. It was close. Those two were neck and neck. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Listen. um, Yeah. Yeah. I I think Bam is a lot more effective offensively. He's just so much more effective offensively because he can do so many different things. He's an exceptional passer for a big man. He legitimately initiates their offense a decent amount of the time. Um, I think that Rudy and Bam have had close defensive seasons, even though Rudy has probably been slightly more effective. I just think the difference between Bam and Rudy on offense is a little bit bigger. If you're yeah, if you're saying that they're close on defense, then the gap is is very clearly in Bam's favor overall. Yeah, I agree. I like that um, one. It was great. Pick. And then yeah, Jimmy Butler and Chris Middleton were the forwards. I like it. Jalen Brown get any consideration for you? I went Tatum over Brown once okay. I you know I, I kind of eliminated one of those two. Makes sense. Ben um, Simmons, no love. Well, Ben's gonna get love in the next thing we talk about, which is defensive player of the year. <laughs> so I take it. Is that your guy? I you know have been guy. at number one in defensive player of the year. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. I had him at three. He is leading the league in steals, second mm-hmm. in deflections, third mm-hmm. in loose balls. All these good numbers. He is guarding literally everyone. Yes. Been at least, this is per uh, Krishna Narsu and Andrew Patton. Okay. Um, they've kind of developed a 
defensive metric that shows what positions you guard most often. Oh, that's um, good. That's a good thing. Throw that away. He spent at least 15% of his time on the floor defending the one, the two, the three, and the four. Whoa. <laughs> and he'll throw in some time at the five, too, just for switching purposes. And he spends more time than any other all-star guarding opposing teams' number mm-hmm. one options. That makes perfect sense. That that doesn't surprise me in the least bit. If you watch the, the Sixers more than once, you, you get that vibe. He's always on the top guy. So He's a dude. He's a, unquestionably a dude. They have a top five defense. I think that his impact is greater than Giannis's impact. And the reason that I will say that is this. I'm not 100% sure that Giannis has been the most impactful defender on his own team. And that would be? Brooke Lopez. Yeah. I do have Giannis ahead because I think that Giannis does slightly more in regard to just covering up the help. Like his Mm -hmm. presence is like, he's just omnipresent. And that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at with him. Like it's the NBA's best defense. Yes. Lopez, both Lopez uh, are are pretty damn good in that spot, but the system, and we know, we know Mike Budenholzer, like he's always going to have a really good defensive system, but to kind of steal your term, Giannis, I think, is the straw that stirs the drink there. And, and the drop-off in, in defensive rating, not as sharp as offensive for the Bucks, but it's still noticeable and significant. And it's not just a system thing. It's the players within the system. Uh, Simmons is probably not, – not, not probably. He is the better one-on-one defender. Uh, that's the guy I would want in a clutch moment on defense. But I, I can't discount the fact that when Giannis is on the floor, the Bucks are as hard to score against as any team in recent memory in the NBA, certainly in the you know, hyper three-point era. And Yeah, in uh, the case yeah. here is that um, the Bucks are about only two points better when Brooke Lopez is on the floor defensively versus when Giannis right. is on the floor. It's like an eight-point difference. Right. Right. And, and, um, it's, and I understanding fully that you know, Ben can take a, a few more risks on defense because uh, this Joel Embiid guy is uh, pretty damn good too. Yeah, no, that's a really great point too. Um, I think the fact that he guards opposing teams' best players as often as he does, whereas Giannis often plays love that like it's a great, a floating, you know, hundred percent. Like he's like almost super Draymond Green. Yeah, he's so long and athletic, right? Right, but it, it, it doesn't feel as if yeah the, the tenacity that is required. It's like this is my dude, one v one. Everyone else, figure your own shit out. I got this guy. I'm gonna lock this fucker down like that. You see it from Kawhi. He's also leading the league in addition to that in deflections and steals. So, like, he's also a monster help defender who creates turnovers. So, no no one's arguing that Ben Simmons isn't a great elite defender. And it's a very close argument. And I think that you make a very good case as to why Ben should win it. I, I just, my overall thought process with Giannis is don't overthink it. Because no, so, I think that's totally reasonable. So and much of what he it does is just it, it affects the game in ways that don't show up on the stat sheet. And not to get you know too transcend, transcendental or anything on it, but like I do think that Giannis to the Bucks is is more important marginally than Ben to the Sixers because you can make the argument that when both are at their best, Ben isn't even the best defender on the Sixers, whereas no one's going to make the argument that Giannis yeah. isn't the most important defender on the Bucks, except for arguably you. Yeah. <laughs> Part of it is system too. 
like it's Milwaukee's it's system huge. is really strong, and like Eric Bledsoe is a stud at getting over on screens. Chris Middleton yeah. can take on tough assignments. Yeah. Dante DiVincenzo is a really good defender. Like he is just surrounded by exceptional defenders. Yep. Whereas like in Philadelphia, Al Horford's still learning a new scheme. Yeah. Uh, or or he just can't execute it anymore. Is super help. Like he is exceptional in help, but fouls the shit out of everyone and right. is way over aggressive and needs help kind of around him. Shake Milton is like not an awesome defender. Whoever, you know, they're playing at point guard sometimes, like Howell Neto and they played Trey Burke there for times. Yeah. Like you know, those guys aren't great defenders. Josh Richardson's a good defender. Certainly yes, Joel's a great defender. Yep. But there was just so many new pieces to integrate in Philadelphia, whereas in Milwaukee it was all stagnant. There's a co- there's a cohesion the there for sure. But then let's and also by the way, my yeah. coach of the year award is going to kind of match this up too like insofar as like i wonder if the coaching aspect of it is as important as the skills aspect of it for a certain player well who's your coach of the year uh, i have well here let, let's finish defensive player of the year <laughs> okay who, so, who's the who's the other guy in this conversation who's ben the third Simmons, man and anthony davis yeah i think that's fair i think yeah. that's fair. and, and i think this, for gobert uh, you can make an argument for bam uh, I don't really think there's an argument for Rudy this year, if only because that defense has been kind of messy throughout portions of the season um, in a way that they haven't been in the past. Uh, the Lakers have just been uh, monstrous on defense in large part due to the fact that Anthony Davis is just like the switchable monster who is ridiculous in help at all times and um, can guard. Uh, he's superhuman. Four, I mean, he's, he's he, yeah, he's superhuman. One through four. I mean, no, he's guarded one through five, baby. He can he's guard everybody. One through five. <laughs> like, and he guards a lot of fives, but like I just mean in terms of the Oh, yeah, yeah. He is um, – he, yeah, he's he's close to a perfect basketball player. Yeah, he's a monster. So, and I think those three are in a tier by themselves. And okay. then the next tier, I would have like Bam Adebayo, mm-hmm. Rudy Gobert. Mm-hmm. I would have Brook Lopez in that tier somewhere. Interesting. Um, yeah, I like it. Yeah, like you know, th- there are certainly other guys out there that are worthy of discussion. Uh, but th- I think those three are the three that very clearly uh, supersede everyone right now. I like your argument for Simmons. I, I, I'm still sticking with, with Giannis, but I think the argument for Simmons, um, hopefully hopefully some people hear it and, and give it more consideration because, I don't know, just kind of the, the informal straw poll of life, uh, it does feel like people just want to give it to Giannis too. And, and I'm certainly part right. of that camp. I'm not arguing that, that that's the wrong camp. I'm just saying uh, it, it probably should be closer just based on it was a very compelling argument from you and uh, one that I didn't take into as deep consideration just because I'm painting the Sixers with somewhat of a broad brush at this juncture for the reasons kind of explained by both of us in in the All-NBA discussion. Um, Yeah, I think there's something there. Uh, If if we ever get basketball again, something to really keep an eye on. All right, uh, let's go through these other ones. Yeah. Let's talk Coach of the Year real quick because I think that's a little bit more interesting. So I've got Frank Vogel at one. Okay. I, I, I appreciate that. He's certainly on my list. I have Taylor Jenkins. I think it's hard to say that anyone saw this coming from the Grizz. Yeah, so Taylor is certainly fourth for me. Oh, wow. Uh, certainly fourth. Okay. Yeah. So here's here's the reason why I would go the top three the way I did it. So Frank Vogel obviously was entering a combustible situation for sure. with a backcourt that isn't great, mm-hmm. and they've just figured it out in, like, the most ridiculous way, right? They, the fact yeah. that all of these pieces work together in the way that they do is such a tremendous credit to Frank mm-hmm. Vogel. Um, th- this team was... He was my number two, for the record. 
arguably the best chance. Like they were favorites to win the title mostly because of Vogel. Um, well, mostly because of LeBron oh. and Anthony Davis. <laughs> Let me rephrase. Mostly because of LeBron and Anthony Davis. That's kind of important this whole thing. But the fact that the glue held together, the fact that he's yeah. getting, you know, resurgent year from Dwight Howard, a yeah. great year from JaVale McGee, a really good year from Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Yeah. Um, Avery Bradley looks playable. And like yes. the point guard situation, we're talking about like Alex Caruso or Jean Rondo, right? Like the fact that this team has won almost 50 games in 63 yeah. games is such a credit to Vogel figuring out the pieces and making them. Well, and let's, and let's be clear. I think that uh, a lot of those players, uh, there was certainly upside and a lot of guys are hitting something close to their upside or maybe even surprising. Um, that's not all just system fit. There's a lot of credit that goes to the players in that regard, if not the majority of the credit for that. But the system in and of itself is somewhat unique, right? We, we talked about why Anthony Davis isn't playing the five. I think given the trends of basketball in this you know day and age, most people would just say Davis is the five. And whether it was wear and tear or Davis bitching and whining about it or just transcendent thought, uh, Vogel has played a true five next to Anthony Davis for the majority of his minutes, I would argue. And that's a really hard thing to work with in spacing without sort of turning Anthony Davis into a kind of a, a just a regular perimeter wing three-point shooting guy. But that's you – know, Davis can certainly do that. He has that element. But you don't want that to be his sole operation. And moving LeBron to point guard, uh, you're now playing a point guard most of the time. You can't shoot off ball having a guy like Davis who you really want free throw line down unless he's setting a pick, keeping uh, a guy like JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard engaged and out of Davis's way should, or, or LeBron's way even, should they drive to the hole. It's a really tricky, it was a really tricky formula to go with. And a lot of people expected Frank Vogel to get fired because he also had Kittlefinger next to him. And it it, it just felt like he was a dead man walking from day one. The system, don't know how, I mean, I can really break it down or whatever, but like it works. Uh, they're not running into each other. The spacing is totally acceptable. It helps to have two transcendently great players, but um, schematically, it was a risk for Vogel. Um, he could have tried to put square pegs into round holes. He could have tried to overthink it and, you know, uh, and take a bunch of players who wouldn't have fit into the, you know, four or five out offense and make it, you know, make it so everything was just clunky. He he just accepted the players that he had and he put them in the best position to succeed. I think it's a very fair argument that uh, he should win coach of the year. It's why I had him number two. Um, and uh, curious as to who the other guys on your list are, because apparently Taylor Jenkins isn't on it. And, you know, fuck me for thinking that Memphis uh, should have been another lottery team. Yeah. So the second guy I have is Nick Nurse. Okay. Who yeah. lost Kawhi Leonard and yeah. has won 46 games. Yeah, that was my number three. Yeah, like that's obscene to me. The fact that yeah. a team with Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, and like Norman Powell, I think have yeah. played the most minutes on that like, team, has won 48 he, games. My issue is that I just think probably more highly of all of those guys than probably the general public does. Like I think those guys are really good players. <laughs> 
like obviously yeah, but, and like I'm very high on Pascal even more so than I think everybody's just built in uh belief that he'll just be the next superstar in the league or whatever like uh, uh, yes the systems work he's a brilliant coach um he's kind of just doing the same stuff that he did last year he, he was a crafty fucker last year too yeah. except, he a, except he had a true superstar on the team who by the way was you know kind of half-assing it in the regular season there, too. He, he was. I mean, you look at what their record was last year at this yeah. point. So they're 46-18 and 18 right now. Last year, they were 46-18. and 18. Yeah. They have not skipped a beat despite losing Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. No, yeah, it's – it's he's really, really good at this. Yeah. I mean, that is exceptional to me, and it's part of why I think Kyle Lowry is deserving of recognition. Pascal Siakam is deserving of recognition, right? Mm-hmm. Um all, all of these guys are absolutely exceptional, don't get me wrong, but uh, Nick Nurse keeping this thing together has been unbelievable to me. And then third, I had Budenholzer, because I mm-hmm. think that that defensive scheme mixed with the fact that uh, he is finally, he was the guy that found a way to optimize Giannis. Like, I don't think that's changed uh, year over year, right? The fact yeah. that they have a top five offense and the number one defense by far in the NBA, uh, I think a lot of that is scheme in addition to uh, players. And I think Budenholzer Budenholzer deserves credit for it. Absolutely. Yeah. So Taylor Jenkins say, for it. Like, say, we can talk about Taylor Jenkins because I think he's done a great job too. Yeah. Say positive stuff about Taylor Jenkins for me so I don't feel like I'm a complete moron. So <laughs> they're in eighth place in the West, and that is a credit to Taylor Jenkins figuring out how to make a rookie point guard uh, more comfortable and like Jaws. I think better than we all expected early on. Like if you're going to yeah. make the case that Ja is, Oh, this is exactly what I expected from Ja Morant. Well, you're going against the entire entirety of history of rookie points. Right. Basically yeah. like for him to be leading a team to the playoffs in his rookie year as the best player on a team is that's just not normal, right? Yeah. Like we've seen rookie point guards put up statistical years that have been good, but not ones that have led to the playoffs. Right. So what yeah. Jaws doing is absurd. And obviously he's a pick for rookie of the year. And we'll talk about that in a minute, but I think that Jenkins and this Memphis staff have done a really good job of optimizing things around John Morant, despite the fact that they don't really shoot the three ball exceptionally well. Like John is a guy that like really needs space on the floor to operate. They're mm-hmm. 25th in three-point attempts per game, um, 27th in three-point rate overall, and they're only 21st in three-point percentage. Like, this is not a team that spaces it exceptionally well and have found a way to make it work just via scheme, and I think that uh, Taylor Jenkins deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah, it's just kind of wild. I mean, we say, yeah, Ja has been incredible, and he has, and we'll talk about that in a second, but, like, I don't know, it, it, it just feels like everybody on that team is getting the most out of themselves this year. That that's a yeah. real rarity in the NBA. And we talk about it probably more than anybody else with like the Raptors, right? And, and Nick Nurse. Um I don't know, I mean maybe maybe it's just the the initial knee jerk thing where which team has exceeded expectations most and how do we reward them? And in 3 years it's like I don't know if Taylor Jenkins is actually that good of a coach. I don't know. It's yeah, kind like of part, part of the thing Some, is, for is me, motivation. Like, look, the bottom of the Western Conference hasn't been that great this year. You don't tell and, me. You don't, you don't say. I mean, right. Like, they're 32 and 33. Like, they have a losing record right now. Yeah. Yeah. Still, playoff spot. He's done a great job. Like, I don't mean to disparage what they've done, but I I just think that the three guys at the top, I mean, those are the teams that have won more games than anyone else this year, and I think that they're deserving of credit for having won more games than anyone else this year. 
just given the fact that all of them had somewhat interesting problems to solve coming into the year or, you know, coming into last year. In the case of Budenholzer, and he's just figured out how to accentuate this entire thing and make it work in a way that is exceptional. No, I'm picking up what you're laying down. I think it makes a lot of sense. All right, let's run through these last ones quickly just because I don't really care about some of them. Rookie of the year is very clearly John Morant. Without question. Yeah, I do think that there was a case that Zion Williamson might have snuck up on him. Well, he would have needed the full season. I don't know. Because, look, I I did just make the case that, like, you know, John Morant is one of the first rookie point guards to be the best player on a potential playoff team. Zion Williamson is averaging 24 points, 7 rebounds, and 2 assists a game while shooting 59% from the field. Yeah, he's like a top 15 player in the NBA right now. (laughs) And I, I, I would go as far to say 10, but that might be a little too controversial for people. I think it's probably a little too high because he's not great on defense yet. Right, right. But he's certainly the most fun. What he is doing right now as a rookie is beyond the pale of obscenity. I mean, in terms of those 19 games that he played, his 19-game sample is better than John Morant's sample. But at some point, playing the games matters. Yeah. And Ja literally played three times as many minutes as Zion Williamson this year. So Ja Morant is very clearly the pick. If it would have cut down a little bit, and if New Orleans would have passed Memphis for that last playoff spot, yeah. which if they played like the last 19 games of the season, what well, I think that New Orleans has 18 games left, it would have gotten yeah. real tight. Would have been interesting. Would have been interesting. Yeah. Would have loved to have seen it. But yeah, it's just not going to happen. So it has to be John Morant. Um, do, do you have a third place for rookie of the year? I didn't really even care to put one down. Um, can I even name a third rookie? No. I, I mean, like I can give you a name real quick. Yeah, hit me with a name. Yeah, like I said, like it would be just like me putting it down real quick. Like I yeah. haven't really. It's not Eric out. Pascal. Yeah, I don't think it is Pascal. To it be isn't. honest, I'm telling you, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, like I think Brandon Clark has like a fairly real case. I like um, Brandon Clark a lot. Good player. Yeah, uh, he's been really, really good. Like I guess you can maybe make a case for R.J. Barrett. Sure. I, you know, I mean, I mean, RJ's averaging 14, five and three, like he's doing it on a disaster team, but yeah, you know, nonetheless, like, I, I think that the answer is probably Brandon Clark though. I, yeah. I got nothing else. So yeah, absolutely. if we're, if we're going to dive deep into this thing. Okay. By the way, like Josh should win unanimously, right? I, I, I can't imagine that he's not going to get unanimous. Okay. Okay. Not obviously like we agree on something, therefore he should be unanimous. Um, that goes without saying, but uh, like, I don't know, especially with it looking less and less likely, like there will be really any additional regular season. Like anything that comes out of this is likely to be very short in length at the most um, before heading into a playoffs. And that's if we're so lucky as to get more basketball. Um, yeah, come on. I mean, what Jaws done this season is yeah, I don't really awesome. That close. No, um, sixth man of the year, I picked Montrez Harrell with Dennis Schroeder in second place. Yeah, uh, uh, I was trying to vote for two guys at the same time. Can we get Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell to share it? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, with then Dennis Schroeder being in second place. I'll be honest, I don't care about this award at all. Yeah, I think they should get rid of it. Yeah, it's like almost like kind of a slap in the face award. I forgot uh, about most improved player, so I'm going to need to do some research here. Uh, who do you have? Yeah, I went Brandon Ingram. 
Oh, yeah, no, sorry, I have that written down. Brandon Ingram is clearly the answer. I just didn't write down anybody else because it was only one dude. Yeah, I picked Brandon Ingram. I, I will say, like, there is an interesting case for Devontae Graham, but the leap that That's... Ingram took, like, I think that the leap from starting caliber player to legitimate all-star is mm-hmm. much harder than going from unplayable to, like, starter level. That's an extremely fair assessment. Yeah. Uh, By the way, Devontae wasn't unplayable last year. Like I noted in my rookie scale rankings thing that he was actually really underrated pretty good last year. Right. But uh, yeah, I I just think that the difference is much more difficult to go star. Does Lonzo crack the top three here? Uh, He didn't for me. I had uh, Bam is my third one. Bam was my number two. Now that I had already written it down immediately after you started talking about Devontae Graham. As we were talking about it. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. Um, I had Bam and and Lonzo, and that's why I asked about Lonzo. Yeah, and Bam, you know, you could make the same case again for, you know. Like, Bam Bam was not bad. Like, Bam was really good last year, too. Like, it was very clear what the trajectory was. Yeah, going from, like, good starter to all-star, like, I just made that case, right? Yeah. Like, maybe to be consistent, I probably should have Bam at number two. But uh, I think Bam was good enough last year that, like, he was maybe not high-level starter, but was, like, very clearly starting caliber player up to now all-star. When we're talking, about him, was, we're talking about him going from, like, the 14th, 15th best center in the NBA last year, and that's being generous and just me liking Bam, to now being an all-NBA player. Right. Seems like a pretty good jump. And he, he should be in the top three. If you want to make a case for second, that's fine. If, no. if I put more thought into most improved player, I might have him second. But it's, like, very clearly Brandon Ingram to me. I don't know. I think you can make the argument for Bam, actually, the, the more I think about it, given um, I think it's clearly Ingram. I'm very high on Ingram. But I also love Bam, so I, I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be angry if, if people went that way. Yeah, I mean, Brandon Ingram's averaging 24.6 rebounds and four assists a game. Dude's um, a stud. Yeah, like a 59 true shooting percentage. Like, he's like a no-doubt all-star. He's, a, he's an absolute stud. Yeah. So Didn't make our all-NBA teams. That's that's all we got in terms of basketball. I mean, there are two other things that we need to talk about. Okay, so at the end of the last time we talked, I told you you needed to watch Tiger King. I watched Tiger King. Yep. It was the, it was the best Oklahoma tourism video I've ever seen. <laughs> so there are so many characters to start with in Tiger King. Um, who's your favorite character this could be a weird answer carol baskin's new husband yes there's something off with that guy (laughs) like i don't know what's going on there you know that your wife's ex-husband died under mysterious circumstances he could be in costa rica man i i I hold out i i think they kind of I don't I, listen. I don't I know. I do agree with where you're going with this a little bit. I feel like they they skewed it a little bit into like essentially accusing her of murder. I, I thought that they leaned maybe a little bit too hard there and didn't really spend enough time with the possibility that the dude just like got the fuck out of there. Yeah, there's a real chance that he was just like, "Nah, I'm good." Yeah, I'm, I'm good. There's no extradition. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm straight. Like, I don't need this. Again. I'll, fig- I'll figure this out. <laughs> I'm willing to leave millions of dollars behind to avoid this going forward. And the guy, the guy didn't like live lavishly or anything. Only she did. So like, fuck does he care? And what was what was the line in the movie? Like, if I pull this off, it would be my best my best one yet or something. Yeah. So like, I do think there's a chance that that is true. I do think also that like, if we're oh, talking she very, about she very well like, could have killed him. 
I mean, that, yeah. that's, I'm not saying that she didn't. She could have, but. Um. But I will say the way the, the documentary presents it, there is no actual evidence that she killed him. Yeah, they presented a lot of things that would have been admissible in court, like, you know, uh, he told me or he told me this or he told me that. And then compared right. to just like wild speculation. <laughs> right. So and it's like, just like, these are not equivalent things in a, in yeah, a court they, of law. They tried to make it like very equivalent. And it's just like, no, whatever. None of this is real. What we um, need to talk about are, uh, are fucking meth addicts in Oklahoma amongst tigers. So how long did it take you to realize Joe Exotic was not singing? Oh, in- instantaneously? Yeah. <laughs> like, as soon as the music video came on, Laura and I just looked at each other and we were like, oh my God, what is happening right now? Yeah. And then... It was, it was rather the most shocking aspect of that wasn't that he was Millie Vanillying it. It's that he had so many songs that he was Millie Vanillying. so many songs. And it's like... um what kind of pay is he giving? Like, clearly this dude's broke. Like, how much is he paying these songwriters and, and singers to do these? And, like, are they on the, – do they know what's going on here? Like, so just, Billboard, Billboard or someone like that, um, someone did a, did a look at this. Yeah. And I'm trying to pull it up as we, uh, as we like, do it. I think it was Slate. So Sam Adams at Slate did this. Okay. So uh, Vince Johnson and Danny Clinton, uh, I guess, were the writers and performers of these songs. And by the way, like how how good of a writer do you have to be to write these batshit insane songs that all have something to do with the tiger and like this fucking <laughs> meth addicts? you know, like weird feud with some lady in Tampa. Like uh, again, how much was he paying these people? Like I can't imagine it. You had to be getting paid a lot of money for this to be worth it. So I guess that at first uh, they didn't realize that he was going to take full credit for them. Oh, stunner. Having said that, here is the best part of all of this that wasn't even in the documentary. While the docuseries tells us, and this is from Slate, the story of Zanesville, Ohio's Terry Thompson, who turned loose his sizable collection of exotic animals, including nearly three dozen lions and tigers, before right. killing himself. Right. It doesn't get around to, you can't believe, the musical tribute that alleges no. Thompson was actually murdered by the deep state in an attempt to discredit private, private zoo ownership. The video positions Joe as a dogged investigator slapping a folder down on an interrogation table and lighting up a cigarette and shows uniformed men in masks leading a blindfolded Thompson lookalike into a clearing and sticking a gun in his mouth. We shouldn't be laughing at this. This is, this, these are the kind of, these batshit insane people exist. We failed them as a society. I can't get over the fact that he thinks the deep state killed him. Well, I mean, why? Why is why is that the line that is no longer believable? That this guy's into deep state conspiracy. It's super. Yeah, yeah. It's believable. So, (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ! The music is definitely the best part of this thing. I think. Like, what do you think the best part of this is? When he burned down the alligator shed. That's wild. (laughs) It was almost. So goddamn obvious that he did it. <laughs> yeah. Like, at least based off of the documentary. I, I don't think that it really – all of that would hold up in court, by the way. 
I'm shocked. I'm shocked there wasn't. I guess he was a crime against himself. Like I don't know. Uh, yeah. Well, like I feel like it would have. They had, they had him like, on hidden camera talking to his lawyer, <laughs> and his lawyer suggesting that he torch it. Yeah. And then that night he torched it. <laughs> like again, that part is not as funny because they literally killed alligators. At some, at some point, at, at some point, you stop feeling for the animals in this whole thing, and it's no, bad. No, I didn't. I actually it's, never, I never got to that point. Like every time that a young point, all of the, a per, a cleansing fire needed to just be taken from all of this, and just it all had to go. It's just all of it has to go. It's so bad. Every time that a like baby cub came up on screen, Laura and I would just look at each other and be very sad because we were like, they're literally taking this cub away from its mother. It did. Yeah. These. Yeah. It, it's all. How do you feel about like the LSU tiger that lives on campus now? Yeah, pretty bad. I didn't feel like, good about it. I didn't feel yeah, good about it. As someone really who bad. thought like, oh, it'd be cool if Mizzou, where I went to school, had like a bitch and tiger like LSU did. I'm like super into the fact that we don't have a, a tiger now. Uh, and I, I was there before, you know, I saw this thing, which by the way, I watched all in one night, starting at 11 p.m. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it took us two nights or like it, two days. To watch. We were all in. We we figured we're in quarantine and uh, we don't have anything to do until noon tomorrow, and we're gonna we're gonna ride we're gonna ride this wave of insanity. As someone who spent a lot of time in both Oklahoma and Tampa, let me tell you, not an ounce surprised by any of it on the baseline. Did you ever drive by the Joe Exotic Zoo? I certainly did. I certainly did. Now I I have no recollection of it, but just based on where it was, um, I would have seen the billboards for sure because uh, we went through Oklahoma City uh, a couple times, and um, I'm sure that they had some on 44 uh, with Tulsa when you're heading towards Dallas. That they say basically get off here and drive, you know, an hour or so, and they had it. I, I don't know how many billboards they had, but uh, I was certainly proximate enough to presume that I would see billboards. I've certainly never been there, but uh, nor would I have ever gone. Because um, it's a fucking hot mess. Like, just inherently, inherently on the level. Like, some place, like, an hour south of Oklahoma City. And, like, not like Oklahoma City City downtown, which, by the way, is barely a city. But, like, also, like, the per, like the perimeter of Oklahoma City, which is massive. It's this good book, by the way. It's called Boomtown. It's about, like, the history of Oklahoma City. Like, Oklahoma City just yeah. annexed and annexed and annexed and annexed. And this is, like, an hour outside of just the city line, which is hyper-rural anyway, uh, on the fringes. Like, uh, and you're telling me there's just a bunch of tigers out there? Like, I, there's – you couldn't have convinced me that it wasn't some sort of weird meth thing to begin with. Well, the and, crazy thing is, like, I was in college at Ohio State whenever the Zanesville thing happened. I remember and, like, the Zanesville thing lightly, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, like, I, I remember that being a thing. I, I can like, imagine. It, yeah, like, it was pretty wild that that was happening while, like, I was in college. We were like, oh, yeah, we probably can't, like, drive by that area. Like, I would <laughs> drive by Zanesville, like, every time to get to uh, Pittsburgh, right? Yeah. So, like, yeah, it was – that that one was pretty wild and, like – that's where I was like, oh, yeah, this is very dangerous. What are we doing here? Why are there people that have these tigers? Like, what are we What are we thinking here? That kind of st- – inherently, I just can't even wrap my head around that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, it, I, 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 watched, I watched eight episodes of that, and I still have no earthly concept of why you'd want a tiger unless you have some sort of weird cult thing going on. Yeah, 100% agree. Like, I, I do not understand why these people like to own – 
Tigers. And, and like, we haven't, but barely talked about Joe Exotic. What is your favorite Joe Exotic fact other than the fact that uh, he sings songs that aren't really sung by him? Uh, that he got uh, two straight methods to go gay for him. That feels like a, a, a pretty powerful move. That one feels like a win for Joe Exotic. And That's a big win for Joe Exotic. That is kind of wild to me is that he would do a television show that mm-hmm. by the way was just like a web show yeah that was broadcast every single night on yeah. the internet yeah yeah well and let, let's go a 60 minutes reporter to do it it was um yeah <laughs> yeah um there there was an interesting point very early it might have been first or second episode with um mr former inside edition the uh reality producer and he basically yeah, said that, yeah he basically didn't basically he said like he never got more than 80 views at a time on the web stream <laughs> ever yeah and i'm just like at some point as somebody who's done periscopes and stuff before and just like this doesn't seem worth it for like a, you know 120 people or something like the god damn it the, the, if the man had anything he had persistence like God bless him. The work ethic was off the charts. Unbelievable work ethic. I mean, good meth too. Apparently, we're all in on Willem Dafoe playing Rick Kirkham, right? Oh, that's a good. That's a good call. That's a good call. Yeah. Uh, like, if we're gonna cast this movie, mm-hmm. like, what what are we talking here? Like, we're definitely talking Willem Dafoe playing Rick Kirkham. I'd like Who's it. Playing Joe Exotic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know who who do you have in mind. I'm I'm thinking that someone's going to actually want to do it for like Oscar bait. <laughs> so like Edward Norton or something. Edward Norton in a blonde wig. Oh yeah. Amazing. The whole thing. I was going to say McConaughey. I don't know. It might be too close. The problem is with McConaughey like he can't un-McConaughey himself. He's always going to be a little McConaughey. He is always going to be a little McConaughey like he just did that Beach Bum movie with Harmony Korine. Uh, last year, I didn't see where it. he was essentially doing Ma- something similar to this. McConaughey. Right? <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, is this the role that gets Daniel Day-Lewis out of retirement? I don't know, because it, it can't be someone that serious. It can't be someone that self-serious. It has to be like Michael Keaton, maybe? Oh, boy. That'd be something. Yeah. 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 Um, I think Edward Norton and William Dafoe, and we just have Wes Anderson direct it. <laughs> Oh, it has to be Wes. It has to be like Wes Anderson or the Coen no, Brothers. Actually, I mean, no, it has to be the Coen Brothers, I think. No, it's very clear who it needs to be. Who? It needs to be Adam McKay. Yeah, Adam McKay would do this well. Yeah, he would. This would be good. Um, My idea for... Vice sucked, and even that I'm saying it should be Adam McKay. Who would you say for Carol Baskin, knowing that uh, Kate <sighs> McKinnon is like set to do this, I guess? Oh, I'm sorry. There's an... What? What? Yeah, What's there's up? like actually a uh, thing. Like, I think oh, that... Oh, Jesus. It might be based on the podcast that was that existed though, not on this. I don't. I don't. Um, My theory was Allison Janney. That'd be that'd be great, but kind of just be a reprise of the I Tanya character, no? Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's why. Yeah, that's fair. I'm excited to see that. <laughs> I'm excited to see that HBO like Bad Education or something. It's a Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney, and it's like a scandal in the '90s of like embezzlement from a school district or something. It's an HBO movie. I think it comes out in the middle of, middle of the month, um, just before The Last Dance is released. Um, I'm trying to think. What other what other characters can we cast? Can we get can we get Walton Goggins in this thing somewhere? That's a good question. Yeah, Walton Goggins. Where would Walton Goggins be? Walton Goggins, here's the, here's the beautiful part about, like, uh, quasi-biopics is, um, like, I watched Ford versus Ferrari. Matt Damon looked nothing. Nothing like him. Look, nothing like Carol Shelby. Um, no. Carol Shelby was like a six foot four dude with a perm. Wasn't picking that up off of Matt Damon. 
but he's a good actor, so it's like whatever. Who knows? So I feel like Walton Goggins would be a what was the name of the the guy who came in after the fact, um, kind of stole the stole the zoo from him. Oh, Jeff Lowe. Yeah, we could do Walton Goggins. Walton Goggins as Jeff Lowe would be pretty good. Yeah, that'd be um, that'd be the dream. That'd absolutely be the dream. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Kate McKinnon is Carol uh, Baskin's pretty good. It's pretty good. Listen, Kate McKinnon has the uh, the energy to pull that off for sure. Um, good way. I feel like Matt Damon should just be in this, if for nothing else but the inherent uh, we we bought a zoo joke, <laughs> like the extremely meta we bought a zoo joke. That's pretty funny. That's he's also just a good actor. Weird. I've been rewatching Thirty Rock, and he's just very very good. Oh yeah, he's great. We're we're all in. If you can rewatch Thirty Rock during these trying times, do it. It's very well, good. The thing that the thing that we rewatched for this is uh bash brothers yeah <laughs> god with god. andy samberg playing Speak, jose canseco and speaking of uh, math akiva schaefer playing uh mark mcguire. mark mcguire yeah with just so many beautiful uh cameos as well the cameos are what get me every time like it never fails like mm-hmm. andy samberg and akiva schaefer like the shtick gets old after like three 10 minutes yeah yeah and i think i think uh the Sterling K. Brown, they, them coming out hot with with uh, Oakland Knights, like you, you get a yeah. you get a read. It pretty much fades from Oakland Knights if we're being totally honest. But um, I don't know if I would agree with that because then we get the scene like it pops up like maybe halfway to two thirds in where mm-hmm. it's Maya Rudolph, Stephanie Beatriz, and Heim. Yeah, like singing at them in like an IHOP parking lot. Yeah, it's the giant burger parking lot. That's not important. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, other, the other thing, too, is those are all Bay Area guys. So there's a lot of references in there that are just, like, easy wins for, for me. Yeah, did you write about this when it came out? And why didn't you if you didn't? I think I did. Yeah, I think I I think I had it as, like, the third thing in a, uh, you know, a around, the, around the Bay column sort of yeah, thing. It, I mean, like I, by far the most important thing to happen to Oakland. <laughs> the Warriors. <laughs> yeah, the Warriors left. Um. Yeah, no, very evidently. And listen, it came out. Uh, I remember watching it at you know like two a.m. or whatever when it when it initially came out because I'm a night owl. And uh, the a it was I'm pretty sure it was during baseball season. If not, it was very nearly approaching. I think it came out last summer, right? Um, I would guess like May last year. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. And uh, Oakland Knights was immediately just on on repeat at the Coliseum the next time I was there. And I made, oh, it really? a point. I made it a point to be at the Coliseum ASAP because if it wasn't being played, I wanted to make sure that the people that I know with the A's made sure it was played. <laughs> and I think it was everyone's walk-up song for a night. I mean, that's perfect. Yeah. You're, you're a fan of the Joe Montana shtick, I just, aren't you? I think the Joe Montana shtick is just hilarious because it's so irreverent. Like, it's um, – yeah, imagine – like. Joe Montana is still, and for viable reasons, viewed as as some sort of a god. Like people just came to grips with the fact that Tom Brady is a better quarterback than him in the history of the game. Like they just got around to that. Um, so the fact that he's just this <laughs> super flamboyant, <laughs> just like Joe Montana, is uh, it just it just cracks me up. Well, the the funnier part is that uh, Jorma Tacone plays yeah. Walt Weiss at one point. <laughs> We definitely needed a Walt Weiss. Uh, well, have you have you read reference? Have you read? I mean, have you read what they've said? I mean, they're trying to do. I mean, they all grew up in Berkeley, so right. 
uh, it's East Bay. It's, you know, 15 minutes from my house or whatever. Now it's like five. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, they just, they'll just go on these rants of like w- weird mid nineties, early two thousands Bay area athletes when pretty much all the teams sucked except for the, the giants that one year with Barry Bonds. But like, there's also then just the East Bay side of things it, for reference for people who haven't been up here, don't know anybody from here. Like, Imagine if what the Clippers are trying to do as a marketing plan, imagine if that was actually real and like there was this disconnect. Um, Having grown up in Chicago where there's a very real north side, south side rivalry, like there's a very real East Bay, San Francisco, I don't know where the South Bay fits in, it changes every day, like rivalry. Like there's an inferiority complex, there's a superiority complex, there's X, Y, and Z. It just goes down the list. It's Boston and New York, except we're separated by one bridge, and a lot of people <laughs> commute into the city to work there. It's just it's um there's a class aspect to it for sure. It, it's 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 really wild, and um, the fact that for so long, I mean, the one team that really did unite was the Warriors, but they sucked for so long that wasn't yeah. really a thing. So it was you know A's. Giants, Raiders, Niners, um, it, it was it was pretty deep seated and, and those very few people, you know, mixed it up. And now it's it's just kind of one homogenous area in so many ways. But uh, yeah, they, they'll go. I, I've read and watched so many interviews with them and, and even reached out to the publicist trying to do one uh, for the Merc. And it was just like they'll just they'll just go on these random <laughs> these randoms, you know, remember some dude stretches of, of Bay Area athletes. And that's just. I mean, that's just fucking catnip around here. Yeah, I absolutely love it. And we haven't given enough time to Sterling K. Brown. He should have won. He was, should, I don't know if it qualifies as television or a movie. I, I want to be very clear. He's playing Sia. Yes, yes. <laughs> he, much like Joe Exotic, uh, Millie Vanillying the situation, but uh, somehow amplifying it in a way. Uh, and you know, you know inherently that uh, they didn't have to negotiate with him at all. He did that shit for free. He showed up the next day, bought his own ticket. Like, there's no question that that was offered to him, and he just said, I'm absolutely in. Don't even think twice about it. Yeah, so, like, a lot of this, obviously, is Andy Samberg, like, getting people from, like, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Just Hollywood, yeah. On the show at some point. Like, Sterling K. Brown was on Brooklyn Nine-Nine at one point. Like, I would imagine Well, see, what did he do on that? He was just on for an episode as, like, a serial killer. I would imagine that, like, he just like asked them, "Hey, can you give us like four hours of your time?" Right. Yeah. Can you just can you just do the stupidest thing you'll ever do and be yes. a legend forever? Yes. And it's he literally should have won an Emmy for playing Sia. That's what that's year. what I was going to argue. Is it an Emmy performance or an Oscar performance? Either way, he he should be halfway to an EGOT right now. Yeah, it's ridiculous. He I think he already has an Emmy, doesn't he? Probably. People really like that that show. I liked it better when it was called Parenthood. Yeah, he has multiple Emmys. He, is, he won for, uh, for O.J. Simpson and uh, for uh, This Is Us. He was good in that, People versus O.J. Yeah, trying to think. What else? Does he have anything else? No, he doesn't have anything else. He should be halfway to it. We, we should just give him an Oscar anyway. I don't care. Just give, give it to him. him. He's a winner. Yeah. Um, we award winners Oscars for free on this yeah, podcast. Between Sterling K. Brown dancing as Sia in a kimono while lifting weights? Yes, I, I don't even with like a blonde slash like black like mullet wig. It's not even like Sia's hair. It's just yeah. like it, it's just like a wig that looks like a mullet that happens to have white streaks in it. I think it was it's, the kid. It was it was the wig of the kid who danced in that Sia video. 
Oh, was it? I think so. I think so. Not my wheelhouse. Yeah, this is not something I'm familiar with. My wheelhouse, uh, roundtable pizza references. That's my that's my wheelhouse. Is roundtable pizza good? No, it's garbage. I was gonna say this is not something I'm familiar with. It's a Bay Area. This is like pizza this is chain. like my pillow guy. Yeah, I, I can understand the roundtable thing. The roundtable is specifically a Bay Area. You guys have mountain mics. Mountain yeah. mics seems more. I think that's more regions. I think that that's like a Pacific Northwest thing that's come down. Roundtable, I think, is just specifically You're Bay Area. No, it's it's, an, it's it's absolutely. I used to I used to have a roundtable pizza caddy corner from where I was living in Oakland. So I can't even hear that without immediately thinking back to you know my first apartment in Oakland and all this stuff and it's just you know it's fucking. I mean, I was absolutely the demographic for that. I can only imagine how people have lived here their entire life felt because uh, I mean it's just like. Yeah, I, I, there's a couple of guys who do like Chicago versions of stuff like that. Obviously not to the scale, and it's just like just kind of remembering some dudes and saying names that are loosely Chicago. Um, it's this guy named Serengeti who did this song um, Dennehy, and it's basically just like Chicago references in a rap, and it just absolute banger because I know what that guy's talking about, and no one else does, and everyone likes to be part of the club. To close this out, this uh, podcast, which is now an hour and 40 minutes for reasons beyond comprehension. It's supposed to be 20. <laughs> uh, Jeff Van Gundy also said today, this is from Spence Sheckett's, I guess they had him okay. on in Utah. Uh, okay. Jeff Van Gundy also said today, he's killing time having a free throw shooting contest with his brother Stan. Since mm. neither of them know how to video on their phones, mm-hmm. they take turns shooting 30 free throws apiece and then call each other with the results. Jeff won the first round, 26-22. God bless the Van Gundys. The Van Gundys are the greatest. We we need to protect the Van Gundys at all costs. Just just stay inside, boys. Stay inside. Don't even, I hope you all have courts in your house. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they, they're clearly just in the backyard. But Stan is living in Orlando, no, and, and uh, um, Jeff lives in Houston, right? By the way, how much money would you bet on this? Like, I would definitely bet on the Van Gundy free throw competition if we well, could get video. <laughs> that's the problem. We're never going to get video of it. <laughs> this is like a no-brainer gambling opportunity. People are getting wild, wild with the gamble. Betting on, like, Madden simulations now. Uh, yeah, my buddy Clint texted me that, that that's a thing earlier today. Yeah, it's it's not good. I mean, anyone who's ever played Madden is just like, this is dude, a bad plan. Why would you bet on Why would you bet on these computers? Like, this is a bad video game. Like, why would you ever put money on the outcome of a bad video game? Dieter, tell the people where they can find your work. Uh, for now, who knows? Uh, at Dieter D I E T E R on Twitter, perhaps, maybe, probably not going to be around there very often. But I guess you can hit me up if you want. I tweet out my. I still tweet out my articles there. Go to the Athletic. I have a bunch of stories coming this week. I filed on the Grizzlies, the Hornets, the Suns draft situations. I have a big board coming out Thursday. I will have a second podcast this week breaking down that big board at some point. Keep it locked over at the Athletic. Keep it locked here. Uh, until next time, though, we will talk soon. Bye. Thank you.